This morning, Pastor Byron is pre well, he's probably already preached at St. Giles Presbyterian Church in Charlotte. And uh, so we prayed for him in the first service. And if you don't know the area very well, or maybe you've been here for a while and you didn't know this, St. Giles back in the 70s is one of the, the gateway churches in this area for the uh, charismatic renewal that the Holy Spirit poured out in the 70s and 80s and stuff. And so it's a really significant church. And so we've just been looking forward to the report of what God's doing there and continuing to do. And uh, how many people are encouraged this morning? Raise your hand if you're encouraged. All right. For the other third of you, hopefully you'll be encouraged before you leave this morning. So that's the goal here because, you know, your encouragement doesn't just depend on your circumstances. Amen. <laughs> it doesn't just depend on your circumstances. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't just depend on that. Let me tell you some things that it just excites me this morning. First of all, did you know that 60 teenagers from Mooresville High got saved this week? Were born again. 60. Yeah, come on, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Remember a few years ago, if you've been around the bonfire crusades that started up, remember Marlon was vice president? Of that thing, and uh, they stopped doing the the crusades at the at the fairgrounds because they realized there was a bunch of youth groups coming with mostly saved kids. So there was something burning in Ben Shelton and Andy, whatever that guy's name's heart, to reach the unchurched. And so what they did, this is brilliant. This is an idea from heaven. Somehow they got favor with the school administrations and, and started having school release meetings off campus. Where, like Wednesday morning, I have to pass Mooresville High to get to our school. I was driving by, and they have buses out front at 7.30, and students could choose if they want to get out of school. Like, who doesn't want to get out of school if you're a student? If you wanted to get out of school, you could go to, on these buses to an off-campus site. They use the Cove's building to the Cove and hear the gospel preached. And 60 kids during that day, or I think it was two days, received Christ from Mooresville High. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, come on. See, these are things that are part of the body of Christ that we're a part of that we're not even doing. You know what I'm saying? We're not necessarily involved with, but it's still something to rejoice about. Because when you've got stuff that sometimes it doesn't feel like you're in a season of this lull or it doesn't seem like God's really doing that much, encourage you, like, look around at what God's doing. It'll quickly encourage your heart. Here's another great story. Um, right now, uh, Eric Newman, from Saint, he's an uh, elder at St. Giles where Byron's at. Him and Jim Hill and Don Gein are high up in the Andes Mountains at a remote village helping a small group of Christians there figure out how they can start a church in their community where there are no churches. Isn't that amazing? The uttermost parts of the earth, we're directly involved in reaching that right now, this morning. Isn't that amazing? Like, God is so good. A lot of times, if I'm having a bad day or if I'm in this kind of season of just not feeling like God's doing all that much, I get on the internet and start looking at some of the things that God is doing. Like, here's a great site. This is just not an advertisement, but xpmedia.com. xpmedia.com. You can write that down because there's so many videos and testimonies about anywhere from people getting saved to God raising the dead somewhere in the world um, on this site that, that they put together. You know, just stuff like that. There's tons of places to see what God's doing, and sometimes that just helps you get out of your own doldrums. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I'm just excited about that because God is doing significant stuff here, you know, but even if He's not, it doesn't mean He's not at work. Amen? So thank you, Lord. This morning, 
My message is entitled Giant Killers. I just lost half the audience right there. All the women are like, it's a male message. Now, come on, ladies, this is for everybody. This is audience participation. Giant killers. And you know what giant killers reproduce when they have spiritual children? Giant killers times ten. Yeah. It's kind of like I was a strong, you know what Dr. Dobson called a strong-willed child. And my wife happens to be a strong-willed child. So, you know, when they hook up and reproduce, you know what you get? Strong-willed child times does, like squared. I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> Lord, bless them. Love that kid. All of them, Lord. <laughs> I want to start in 2 Samuel 21. If you got your Bible, let's turn there. 2 Samuel. My main text is going to be in Numbers. When was the last time you heard a message preached out of Numbers? It's been a while. It's You've heard one recently? This morning. All right, the first service. But we're going to start in 2 Samuel 21. Giant killer. I mean, if you think about, I was thinking about the mid-1770s, at the time of the American Revolution, you know? What was the American military like then? There was none until the Continental Congress appointed GW, George Washington, to head up one. And then even at that point, it was just a bunch of local militia. What kind of supplies do they have? Pretty much none. What kind of shoes do they have? What kind of fatigues do they have? Pretty much none. What kind of weapons did they have? Basically nothing, <laughs> except for what they had. Eventually they, we started to gather, but here we are, think about it. You talk about giant killers, who are we going to presume to take on? Only the greatest military on the face of the planet at the time. You know, later on in history, the, the slogan was that the sun never set on the British Empire. That's how vast and powerful they were, right? And so here we are, this ragamuffin bunch of farmers are going to take on the greatest military on the face of the planet, and we know what the end result was. Why? Because we were born as sons of David. Who was David? David was a giant killer. That spiritual heritage got reborn into the American colonists. And what's happened? There you go. The fireworks are going off. What? <laughs> Heaven is answering. So what happened from there? We had to beat them again in 1812. What happened from there? We had to beat the Spanish. What happened from there? On into the 20th century, we were called on to help deliver the world twice, World War I and World War II, from some of the great evils of the day. Sons of David, giant killers. I don't think it was just a nice idea or something that just happened. God born as sons of David that we could rise up and have a different perspective. And even today, here we are with this war on the spirit of Islam that's raising its head against, against God, you know, against our freedom. We're called on again to lead the world in this thing. And it's such a powerful thing if you think about where that heritage came from as a son of David, because right here in this passage, you know, Goliath had happened a long time back, okay? Obviously, David was a boy, right? But once again here in 2 Samuel 21, it says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbi Benob, how's that for a name? 
poor son, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels. That's a lot. I don't know exactly how much in pounds. Who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him. I love this. Then the men of David turned turned to David and said, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. In layman's terms, David, you're getting old. Stay home. Now it happened after there, there was another battle with the Philistines and on down. In verse 20, yet again there was war at Gath. And there was a man of great stature who had six fingers in each hand, six toes on each foot. And in case you're slow at math, that's 24 in number. And he, he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, remember this is not Goliath, this is a long time later. Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother. Okay, so how would that be in relationship to David? David's brother's boy. David's nephew, right? David's nephew stands up. And kills him. These four were born to the giant in Gath. And then it goes on and they kill many other ones. So what do the sons of giant killers do? They kill giants by the hundreds. By the thousands. How many people in your current land, you look into the land and you see giants? Anybody? Anybody see a giant of finances? A giant of relationship conflict? A giant of sickness. Uh, you know, you name it. A giant of addiction. All, the list could go on and on. These giants face us. And as a son and a daughter of David, you not only have been called, but you've been enabled with the Spirit of Christ to let that giant killer rise up inside of you. To slay that giant with the mighty sword of God's Spirit. Amen. So that's the purpose of this morning's message is I want to lay a foundation here for what I believe God is doing and God is going to do here as we walk forward. Because Byron said a couple weeks ago, this was actually two Sundays ago, I wrote it down on my sermon notes here, September 12th, and I quote, it's time to not only hold your ground, but also to advance. And you know what I wrote in parentheses after that? This was not a quote. Help me, Lord! Exclamation point. It was more like, help me, Lord. I don't know about you, but when he said that, I felt a little bit convicted because I'm thinking, wow, uh, advance? I'm barely holding the ground I got, much less advance anything. Is it just me? (laughs) Oh, but God's calling us to advance. So I want to give us three keys on how we can do that. You heard of the army that marches on their knees? Well, this is the army that marches on their rears. You sit down. Kalani sings about how we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Watchman Nee has this great little book, Colleen, you're familiar with it, Sit, Walk, Stand. How many people have read that treatise on Ephesians? Sit, Walk, Stand. Before you can walk and do all the stuff, and before you can stand against the wiles of the devil, you've got to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Because I love what she sang the other day about how up here my enemies look so much smaller. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? When you're up there from an airplane's perspective, your house looks about way so big, right? Seated with Him in heavenly places, that's where the battle is going to take. That's how we're going to win the battle. All right, let's go to the book of Numbers. This is a great story here. 
Numbers 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Which, wait, before I get going on that, on Wednesday night, God said this to us through Amy Underwood. When there is no way, God makes a way. Actually, it was the reverse. God makes a way when there's no way. When the Israelites were standing outside Egypt before the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was breathing down on them. There's no way. No way out of this one. You're doomed. That's it. The Spirit of God blows and the waters part. The Spirit of God is blowing across your Red Sea this morning. The waters are parting as we speak. His Word is not going to fail. It's not going to return void. Amen? So back to the passage. So God said, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, verse 2, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord. All of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names. And it goes through a big list of the twelve guys and what tribe they were from. Let me pick up in verse 16. And this is really cool. Check this out. I've never seen this before. Verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. How many people knew that Joshua had his name changed? Did you know that, Dean? Don, did you know that? Pretty sure nobody else knows it then in the room. Scott and Corey didn't know it in the first service. So, I mean, this is brand new to me. When you hear preachers talk about, you know, Saul was called Paul and, you know, Jacob became Israel and so on and so forth, all the name changes, I've never heard of Joshua. And check this out. In my footnotes, it translates that. The original name, Hosea, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's how it says in English. The original name Hosea means salvation. Moses changes to Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord is salvation. Isn't that awesome? Here you got this guy as a kid that, or a teenager or whatever that would hang out with Moses in the glory cloud. And Moses at some point looks at him and says, your name's not salvation. It's Yahweh is salvation. I mean, what an amazing name change. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of a side trail there. Yeah. Hosanna means salvation has come. Awesome. That's, that's like one of those freebies out there. You know, did you know? Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Let me stop here for a moment. just going to decree now is a season of the first ripe grapes. God's sending you. You're seeing your land. It looks like there's some challenges ahead, but there's ripe fruit. Indeed, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to see here in a minute, they carry the grapes back. So they went up, verse 21, and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Amimam, amimam, amimam. 
in verse 23, they came to the valley of Eshcol and cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down. And verse 25, they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. But, or nevertheless, but, come on, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak, the giants there. The Amalekites dwell on the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, there's even mosquito bites that dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb, who was of the tribe of Judah, by the way, praise. He came forth with praise quieted the people before Moses and said, whoa, 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 let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. We're the first and not the last. We're the head and not the tail. Let's go, guys. Come on, who's going with me? There's nobody behind him except Joshua. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they, they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. <laughs> I mean, this is, we laugh, but this is us. You don't understand, God. I don't have any money. I mean, the doctor said, I'm going to die. I mean, you know, the list goes on. I mean, you don't understand how strong this sin stronghold is in my life. I mean, it's a giant. You know, I just can't whip this thing. You don't know, you don't know how many times I've repented, Pastor. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of our problems. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. You know, we see from heavenly perspective a little peon. From there, they're like on the ground looking up, man. These, there's no way. I'm just like that big. You know where this comes from? The orphan spirit. We're going to come back to that. So all the congregation, I'm in chapter 14 now, lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us here to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims. There's the victim mentality. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? I mean, I'd rather die of like malnutrition in Egypt than by the sword out here. Come on, Mo. What's your problem? So they said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation and the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, the only guy with no parents, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, 
who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, remember that, if the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are are our bread. Remember that. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared. Dun-da-da-dun! God to the rescue with the glory cloud. It came into the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And obviously they didn't stone them to death. Let me go back up here to verse 8. Joshua and Caleb said, If the Lord delights in us, tap your neighbor and say, If the Lord delights in you. What kind of question is that? It's not like a rhetorical question. Tap your neighbor again and say, The Lord does. He delights in you. So many Christians are still living with this Old Testament view of God. I mean, it's not even the Old Testament view, but that's the way they interpret it. That there's this God waiting to destroy you. He's waiting for you to do that one last straw thing. And then that's over for you. But Joshua and Caleb had it right. God's in a good mood. I hate to tell you that. He likes you. He's not like the God of love because he can't help himself. He's just love. He has to love me. No, he likes you. He thinks you're kind of cool. How many people got Byron's email, dear people, about how God's looking for friends? You can go on our website if you want to read that. A really powerful message. Friendship. Isn't that why God created Adam in the first place? And Joshua and Caleb are saying, listen, guys, God created us not only to be friends, not only does He delight in you, but He called us all to be kings and priests. If you go back to Exodus, you read about how God wanted the whole nation to go up the mountain. But because of their Old Testament paradigm of God, they said, oh no, that guy's scary. I mean, he might shoot arrows, it's really loud up there, there's fire, it's probably hot, I'm not going up there. Mo, you do it. We'll listen to what God says to you. And so that's how we are here today with the pastor, who's up here with the microphone that says all the words that he got from heaven, and then all of y'all sitting out there who are like, just tell me what God says. That's not really you guys, but I'm just saying generally. God never created us to be like that because He delights in you. He's he's desired for all of us to be His friends. He's desired for all the Jews, all the nation of Israel at that time, to be a kingdom of priests and kings. There's no separation. But that was not man's choice. So we still find ourselves in this condition. And it goes back to what Jesus said in John 14. Listen, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. For I'm going to send another one. Another part of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. And He's going to lead you in all truth. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your teacher. And not only that, but He's going to baptize you with power and fire and all the good stuff. And you're going to do the greater deeds. Not only are the fruits of the Spirit going to be your character through the Holy Ghost, but the power and the gifts of the Spirit are going to be an operation of your natural life as He comes upon you as a king and a priest. 
How many people are excited about that? And then it says in verse 9, Don't rebel or fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. They are, what is it, some cannibal thing? We're going to go eat them now? Come on, God, what are you saying? No. Remember in Proverbs, Solomon said, The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Our provisions God has lying there. He's, he's, he's going to do something, I believe, that's going to really confound a lot of our mindsets about His nature. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared. This grumbling thing, it just stems from that lack of understanding who our Father is. But yet, I find myself in this dilemma that I give voice to my lack. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's just me, but I just, I don't want to call it complaining. That's kind of a big word, you know, that might be stretching it a little bit. <laughs> but I start complaining about what I don't have, about what I'm not seeing, about, you know, well, what if we would have just stayed there? What does that sound like? All the woulda, shoulda, couldas. Let's leave those behind and look towards the God of hope who's given us a future and a hope to bless you, to prosper you, not to harm you. Amen? Giant killers. So number one, let the fruit of the Spirit of the Father come upon you and just destroy any, any notion of that orphan spirit. Number two, <clears throat> slay giants with the spiritual weapons of love and forgiveness. Let's flip over to the book of Acts. This is one of my favorite verses. Acts 54, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 7.54. 7.54, I love this because uh, Steve, you know Steve in the Bible? Stephen? I like to call him Steve because he's just a guy. I mean, he's not like the Big Twelve. You know, the Big Twelve, they're so unreachable for us. They're like St. Peter. I'm not St. Matthew. Nobody's calling me St. Matthew from day to day. You know what I'm saying? So I feel a little unreachable from that. But Steve, Stephen is just a guy. In fact, we find ourselves in the early church that they needed some time for the apostles to actually do ministry and pray because they were so busy with all the details and the administration of the church, so they chose some more guys to take over the serving part. And Steve was one of those guys. Steve and Phil. Stephen and Philip. You know? They're just those guys. But what I love about Acts 7 and Acts 8 is they bust out just the ordinary guys and do some of the most phenomenal stuff in the entire New Testament. And so what happens with Stephen is he starts preaching this powerful message. Let me actually, it's not up here, I apologize, but let me start in uh, Acts 6, 8. It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, and the, those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. How many people would like that anointing? Nobody can resist by which the wisdom and the power which you're speaking. Now, they can pick up some stones, <laughs> but they cannot resist that authority. This is one who speaks like a man with authority, just as I said with Jesus. 
So he, he goes on and explains the whole Old Testament. I think Byron said the other day, if, you don't, if you're too lazy to read the Old Testament, just read Acts 7, because it's like, kind of like cheat sheet for the whole Old Testament. It's right there, like cliff notes for the Old Testament. Not really, but it's, it's a good little primer there. So in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. <laughs> kind of a weird picture. I always wonder what that actually looked like, gnashing with teeth. That's, are you guys okay? All right. Okay. <laughs> but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do you guys see this? I'm having a heavenly encounter. I see the Lord of glory standing at the right hand. of the... Can you guys see this? Brother, we don't believe. That's real today. No, I'm telling you, man. you got to see what I'm seeing right here. I can see. He goes on. Then they, he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Steve, you just need to calm down. That's not a real encounter. Must be a false spirit or something. No, guys, listen. I've just testified to you what God has done for us. Look right there. I see Jesus. Does that sound familiar? It's kind of like on the day of Jesus' baptism when the Bible said that the heavens were opened and the Son of Man, I mean, and the, the Spirit of God descended like a dove upon the Son of Man. You see, that's your inheritance. Because if it could happen for Steve, why doesn't it happen for Ken? Why can't it happen for, for Joe and for everybody in here? It has. <laughs> that's the good news. The heavens have been opened. You stand in the same kingdom authority as Steve. But then they cried out in verse 57 with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Ah! And started throwing stuff. Started throwing stuff at Steve. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God. And it said in verse 57, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned Stephen, he was calling on God and saying, Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin, God. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he died. And 8.1 says that Saul was consenting to his death. Standing there giving agreement to it. I believe this is one of the most powerful prayers in the entire Bible. Right here. Because as Byron was, is going through the last words of Jesus on the cross. You remember he's taught this one. Father, forgive them. The power of forgiveness. I believe what happened is as Stephen full of the Spirit of God. See, this is what, this shows what is possible for a guy like me and like you. A guy like Steve. Just an ordinary guy, not a big 12 guy. Not a celebrity on the stage. When the Spirit of God fills him, then he is enabled, not by his strength or personality, but by God's strength, to even pray a prayer like that, facing the largest giant possible. I mean, don't you think, would you agree with me that's a pretty big giant? If a mob's rushing at you with big rocks to kill you. In the natural, it looked like Stephen was going to lose the battle. But in the spirit world, he won the greatest victory. 
See, that's what it is like to be seated with in heavenly places. And we see here an illustration for how God's called us to fight this battle. Because if I think if you could see in the spirit world around that event with Stephen, you would see that there was this like little battalion of demons waiting to try to mess something up here. They've already sent in anger. They've already sent in hatred. They've sent in murder now. You know, they're going and doing their thing on these religious guys who've opened a door for those things. And now I believe that things like hatred and bitterness were coming after Steve. And they're coming after, they're coming after his mind. And when Steve says, Father, forgive them, bam, they run back to their battalion leader and they're like, Commander, we don't know what to do. We can't get him. Defeated. Battle's won. Battle's over. In my CSM class this week, we were talking about, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but what if we really loved each other? <laughs> it's one of those things you dream about. You know? Like, you know what I'm saying, and you guys, I mean, we, we, look, we do love each other, but I'm saying there's a revelation, I think, of spiritual warfare that is so powerful, and it's this, it's, it looks something like this. When you choose, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, to love and forgive, those little battalions of demons have no place. They can't stand. So it looks something like this. Let's say a typical congregation like River Life, you got this demon labeled uh, bitterness. You got this demon labeled division. You know, the old classic church splits over the color of the carpet. You know, it's the spirit of division. You got all these different things that all of a sudden are like, all right, guys, go get them. You know, and here they come. They're coming after our minds. They're like, well, you know what so-and-so said about so-and-so, and, you know, and this and that. I can't believe he said that. And you got all these things going on, but all of a sudden they retreat, and they come back to their commander, and they're like, sir, they, I don't know what's going on here. These guys are, like, loving each other. Have we actually done anything? Did we gather for an all-night prayer meeting? You know, did we fast and pray for 21 straight days? Those are good things. I'm not down on that. I'm just saying, really all we did is say, Lord, you have so loved us. Now I'm going to love my brother. Have you ever noticed how Paul made it so simple? Like over and over again, almost every letter, he's like, okay, guys, now forgive each other and just love each other and bear with one another. Why did he make it so simple? Because he saw those were the most powerful concept of the Christian faith. And the Christian walk is as you're seated with Christ, you can walk out that day to day and just forgive and forgive and forgive. You know, he told Peter, 70 times 7, Peter, you've got to forgive. So if you're like me at 491, I'm like, fair game, you know. Forgive and forgive and forgive. Because those spirits can have no place in this house. As we just choose to be seated with Christ in heavenly places and choose the weapons of love and forgiveness. Last one, and I'm almost done. Thank you for your attention. Glory. Okay, enough said. That's the end of the message. Now, glory. What is the glory of the Lord? The manifest presence. Just that we're in here this morning. I mean, seriously pulling on heaven this morning in worship, right? You feel the tangible atmosphere shift. As you walk in here and you experience His glory. That's what we were created for. The glory is the cool breeze of the day that Adam walked with God. The glory is the cloud of meeting that Moses and Joshua met with Him in. That is the glory. And I want to remind you of something Paul said, in this covenant, this, where we live today, 
The glory is going to be way even greater. Let me close with this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I love this. This is another one of my favorites. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, this is what we are celebrating this week. The ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. So the children of Israel couldn't even look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Which glory, by the way, was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be even more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more glory. Let me skip to verse 18. But we all, everybody say we all, with unveiled faces. Yeah, you don't have to say the rest. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. From glory to 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 glory. Infinity. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we are partakers in the glory of God, we become carriers of the glory of God. I had a conversation, I had lunch with uh, this guy recently. Well, it was Josh Roberts, actually. And we were talking. I was like, Josh, I see light coming out of you. Has anybody ever seen that? Like someone who's having like just glory experiences with God. Sometimes it's recently saved people or whatever. It's just like there's light. And so I just want to encourage you. 1 John and John 1, both passages written by the same guy, speak of this substance. It says, and came into the world, the man, he was light, and the light was the light of men. You know what I'm saying, in John 1. And 1 John talks about that also. It's this light-love thing. And I realize that love and light are, not, are inseparable. That's who Jesus is. That's who God is. And it was like, as we spend time with the glory... And what is that physically? It's just being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Just sitting down. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to get all busy for God and think that if your tab adds up and you've done more good deeds than bad, then He'll like you. Just love Him. Just be with Him. Just bask in His presence. The glory of God will pour out. If you're like me, you have faced some pretty significant giants in your land, in your life, and you probably are facing some giants right now. So what we really need is the glory of God to be revealed from glory to glory. Amen? How many people feel like you're in that boat? Like you just, there's some insurmountable giants. And you like God for just, you know, just to open up a can on them. You know, just to take the glory sword of His presence. Sorry for my crass language. But it's real. And just eliminate these things. Now, has God promised to insulate us from suffering? How about hardships? No, but He has promised this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when you walk through the fire, there's going to be a fourth man in the furnace. He has promised to go with us, to walk with us, to bring us through those places. So if you need God to do that in your life, facing those giants, just stand up this morning. And we're going to pray, ask God to do that.
I just was sharing this morning that I just really felt like when he was speaking and he was talking about the part where the Lord delights in us, I just felt like the Lord, before you leave, to leave out that door today, that he wants, it's almost like he's saying, remember who you are and whose you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. Before you walk out that door today, I want to remind you who you are and whose you are. Don't you dare walk out that door and try to face this world without knowing that you're mine. You are mine. And I don't just love you, but I really, really like you. I really like you. It's like when you just realize, Jesus really likes me. He really likes me. He really, 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 really likes me. He doesn't just love me. It alters what you're facing. It alters everything. And when you're walking out and you're just going forth and you know I am His and He has spoken who I am in Him. I know what my inheritance is. Nobody can steal that. And I am His. You know, it's like my my mom, when I was walking out the door to go out on a date or to go out with friends, she would say that to me. Okay, but you better remember who you are and whose you are. Who you are and whose you are. And when I was out there in the middle of all of it, I would remember those words. I remember who I, whose I am. I remember who I am. And it would change my perspective on the way I would look at things. And this morning, as Matthew was saying that, he was, it was like the Lord was saying that to me. And I felt like that was for all of us. Don't you leave here. If you need somebody to pray for you, you need a fresh revelation of that. The Lord wants to give you that. Don't walk out this door without knowing who you are and whose you are. You're His. You've been bought with a price. It's been done. And He really, really likes you. He really, really likes you. And I just wanted Becky to just pray over us this morning that we would just really get a download. I don't know if some of you are like me, but when I hear Sarah say, whose you are, it feels good. And then when she says, who you are, it doesn't feel as good. And, um, you know, because you say, well, Lord, you don't, you know, you know me. <laughs> I know who's you are, I am, but, but you know me. But what was really good was when Amy said that Wednesday night, for those of you who were here, about crossing the Red Sea, Andy got up and Andy said, the Israelites should have been praising God before the sea was open, not after but you know what? They grumbled before the sea was open. And in spite of that, God parted the Red Sea for them. In other words, it didn't matter who they were. It mattered whose they were. And God knew all their imperfections and their grumbling. And he knew even though they rejoiced when they got on the other side, it would only be a matter of a little bit before they started grumbling again. I mean, he knew that when he parted the Red Sea and when he made water come out of the rock and when he healed them by throwing the staff in the water. He knew all that. It's God and he knows our imperfections and he still really loves us and likes us. Becky, will you pray for us? Well, Lord, we thank you so much, Father. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son, and Lord, and paying the ultimate cost so that we could know who we are, Lord, and whose we are. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you knew from the beginning, Lord, that 
man would fall. But, Lord, you had a plan. You had us from the beginning, Lord. And we just, this morning, we ask you to bring winds of refreshing, Lord, to our spirit, man, to remind us of who we are, Lord God, and whose we are, and that you are absolutely delighted in us, Lord. You're, you're more than delighted, Lord, that you are crazy about us, God. You're absolutely just, you are singing over us, Lord. You're rejoicing over us, Lord. You, you are, are just crazy. You're, 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 you've paid the price to show us how much you love us, Lord. And Lord, not cause our hearts, Lord, to really connect in with what great price you paid so that we could really know that you're delighted in us, Lord God. Let that settle in on us afresh right now. Lord, we just right now do apply that sacrifice, the blood of Jesus, afresh to our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirit right now. Let the power of the cross have its way in us right now, Lord God. Let the beauty of the cross have its way in us right now, Lord God. Let that power that is oh so effective, that resurrection power that really is speaking, Lord, of that better, the better way, Lord, that you have created for us to be with you, Lord God. Just let it settle on each one of us right now. We receive it. Lord, by faith, we reach out and accept what the blood of Jesus has done for us, Lord God. You've made the way. You've made the way so that we really could know that we are sons and we are daughters, that we have a daddy in heaven who is mad, crazy, in love with us, Lord, that you are delighted in us and what you've made. Lord, that we are yours. We've been made in your image we were made in your image, Lord. How could you reject us? We look like you, Lord. Woo. Oh, yeah. Just receive that right now. Woo, that DNA. We're sons, we're daughters, made in your image, Lord. And you're delighted in us. Thank you, Lord. I just really was just even, you know, the thing is, is he knows us better than we know ourselves. And the Lord knows the dreams in our hearts. He knows the things that he really that we don't even know. And then he will he's there really is a fruitfulness that's going to come forth ready or not here it comes in this time. There really is going to come forth dreams and visions that you don't even know are in your heart until you're walking it out and you're like, "Oh my gosh, Lord, this is how much you love me." I didn't even realize how much this was a dream in my heart till here I am walking it. Do you see what I'm saying? That's how much he loves you. And I was hearing over those of you girls that are in here that are going on the Tanzania trip. And if you're there, you need to tell the other ones. The Lord's saying, remember who you are and whose you are. And you are going to see dreams and visions come forth in this, this experience on this trip coming up. It's going to be great. That the Lord, you are His, and He is going to send you forth, and it is going to be an awesome time. So just remember, as you go forth, who you are in Him. He knows you better than you even know yourself. And remember whose you are, and He is going to cover you, and it's going to be an awesome time. Amen. So if you need prayer for anything, there will be some folks up here to pray with you. If we can have some ministry team people come on up. And uh, just be blessed. You know, have a great Sunday.
You can be dismissed.